1: Alright, we are recording for Contrarians Corner for Marriage Story.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex. I am joined, as always, by my friend and partner in crime, and my co-pilot down this long and winding road of the contrary. Julio, it is Wednesday evening. All the ice and snow has melted. Uh, It was like fucking 80 yesterday, so... Climate change is alive and well, and so are the contrarians, and uh, we made it to the other side of this only to punish ourselves in the end with the the (laughs) film that we are covering today, White People the Movie, Marriage (laughs) Story. As we were discussing here today on The Contrarians, um, right, you know, coming off the heels a few episodes ago of Beast of No Nation*, we're going right back to Netflix, right back to the dreaded amusement park of the film industry. That <laughs> you know, Martin Scorsese might have a thing or two to say about it. Um, but the Best Picture contender from the Academy Awards last year—that was, of course, beaten out by *Parasite*. And my God, Julio, doesn't that awards ceremony seem like a lifetime ago?
1: Yeah, man. W- that was that in February. That was in February, right? Yes. Yeah. So we we had no idea. <laughs> We would have thrown a bigger party if we had known that that was that was going to be it for for gatherings for a while.
0: Already, you know, we've been through a lot as a society, as a as a world, as a human race over the past year. I would hope though with all that we can agree that enough time has passed that we can make fun of how much Joker was nominated for at the Academy Awards <laughs> last year. We can point and laugh wholeheartedly. As we will do at this movie. So, <laughs> To today's lecture, Marriage Story, one of the more recent films we've done. Maybe from date to date, is this the most recent film we've covered on our podcast? It's got to be up there.
1: It has to be even more recent than Avengers Endgame. I mean, it, it yep. was the same award season, but Endgame was early in the year, and Marriage Story was, like, what, November, probably?
0: Man, you are a fan of this movie. November 6th. <laughs> Pre- premiered in Venice on August 29th. Subsequently, uh, it Has a Criterion release now, and the cover of it just makes me angry. <laughs> a What's... Noah Bombach picture. <laughs> Fuck off.
1: <laughs> you know we've we've referenced Noah Bombach several times in this podcast. Always, it's never been a positive thing, and we were never even talking about his movies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, he's he's a bit much to handle. So. Before we get into it, before we get into a marriage story, again, my name is Alex. The other side of the coin is Julio. We are the Contrarians. If this is your first time listening, we greatly appreciate it. If you're a returning listener, you know we love y'all. Give us a moment here while we do a quick rundown for our newbies. I mean, we got the Star Wars and the Marvel Cinematic Universe is respectively represented in this, so who knows who's listening to this, Uh, but Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That's our battle cry. We find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh, and make a case for maybe why that uh, is not entirely the case. Maybe the critics got it wrong and over-celebrated a a piece of art that they watched. Uh, On the other side of the coin, we find a low-rated movie. We typically shoot for about 30% and below uh, those nasty green splotches. That uh, are known as rotten. And we'll make a case for the positive merit in the film. We'll find what there is to celebrate and what um, the people that reviewed it may have gotten wrong about it. Being that marriage story, or marriage, yeah, marriage story, that's it. Not A, not the, just marriage story, is 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. We will be cutting this baby down to size. Uh, But come the second half of the podcast, Julio, we'll be getting to uh, how we really feel about things.
1: That's correct. Once we get to real talk, that's when we we will reveal our our cards, our true feelings. Uh, As it tends to happen when Alex feels very strongly about a movie, (laughs) you're already, this is his first time watching it. And he already kind of spoiled a little bit of how he feels because he was texting me as he was watching it. Still. I mean, we haven't gotten to specifics. So so I still have a lot to learn about how my co-host feels about Marriage Story. Uh, as for me, this is my second time watching it. And I'm pretty sure I've brought it up on the show before uh, positively. But now, does does that hold up? Did it hold up while I was watching it again last night? We shall all find out during Real Talk.
0: Julio, is there a reason behind you selecting this specifically? I know we kind of had to just find a... Um... Uh, a fresh movie to make everything add up here for our uh, chronology of our episodes. Was there a specific reason you chose this or was it one that just came to mind that could be potentially fun to do?
1: Um, Well, I had it. I put it on our list of potentials a while ago when I noticed how high it was on the tomato meter. And it honestly, it somewhat came to mind. It kind of resurfaced in my subconscious when we were doing the Indecent Proposal episode because (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about... uh, You know, relationships that fall to pieces involving popular white actors and actresses. Uh, I don't know. I I just I I thought it would make for an interesting compare and contrast. That's that's the best I have right now.
0: (laughs) That's fair enough. And that kind of brings to the next point here. I assumed, I assume we both have the same answer for this uh as far as our viewing of it i viewed it on netflix as it is a, a netflix picture julio do you own this or did you just watch it on the old uh the big red n
1: did i try to buy the criterion twice and both times it was out of stock <laughs> so yes it was just the the old netflix
0: all right so 94 percent on rotten tomatoes like i said we'll get to all the shit this was nominated for in the second half it somehow captivated all the white people in the world, or at least the ones in positions of power (laughs) to write reviews and nominate things for awards. Julio, what were the critics saying about Mawage Story? I got three
1: fresh quotes, starting with uh, Wenli Ma from news.com.au. Marriage Story is so raw and emotionally burning that the experience is best savored alone. Um. I watched it alone, I think, both times. Did you watch it alone, Alex?
0: Yeah, my sister refused to watch it with me. Uh, As many listeners probably know, me and my sister live together, and she likes to watch movies with me, especially for the podcast, so me and her can kind of talk about it before we record. She just flat out refused to watch it. My sister doesn't really care for romance stories that much. And also, she said, having seen the trailer and all the memed scenes from this, it just (laughs) seemed like something she had no interest in watching. Can't entirely blame her. Oh, and then I told her it was over two hours long, and that was the coup de grace. (laughs) Just no way.
1: Well... Alex Bentley from Culture Map says, Noah Bombaugh has finally made a movie that can be appreciated by most moviegoers without sacrificing quality or toning down his acerbic nature.
0: Mm (laughs) (laughs) I get the feeling. What was that guy's name? Lance? (laughs) Julian?
1: (laughs) Uh, I've seen a handful of Noah Bombok movies. I don't know that this is much different from the other ones that I've seen. Like, I've seen Francis Ha. Uh, (laughs) Yeah,
0: they all suck. Mistress
1: America. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I don't know what makes it mainstream other than, well, it stars uh, Black Widow and Kylo Ren.
0: An old acquaintance of mine, someone I went to school with named Kip. I believe he follows our um, Twitter account. I know he interacts with me about film. Kip Mooney? And I believe... Yeah. Does he follow us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Shout out to Kip. He's uh, someone that I went to school with and we had a lot of journalism classes together and talked about film a lot and stuff. And I just remember he had such a burning hatred for the movie Greenberg by Noah Baumbach. And that was kind of like my first exposure to Noah Baumbach was that movie. And it just always made me laugh when he would say something about it or post about how much he like loathed that movie. I don't know why he's, he's not a a vulgar human like myself. So he never like wrote like, fuck, you know, this movie fucking sucks, that type of thing. It would always just be like very simple digs at it. And they never ceased to make me laugh. Um, that really has nothing to do with what we're talking about besides Noah Bombach. but just a, a quick anecdote while we were on the topic.
1: Noah Bombach. I mean, if it has to do with Noah Baumbach, it has to do with this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I, I never finished Greenberg. I remember starting it and giving up about 20, 30 minutes in.
0: <laughs> have you seen While We're Young?
1: I have. I have. Uh, so see, that makes it three Noah Bombach movies, not counting this one that I've seen. I feel like I have a fairly good idea of what his filmmaking is about.
0: White people shit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Finally, Jordan Hoffman from TV Guide says, the movie is 136 minutes, but the recovery period is, well, at least the rest of the night. And oh my uh, God. If I was a younger man, I would say, sounds like when I have sex, but I can't really make <laughs> that joke with a straight face anymore.
0: Oh, I remember those days. <laughs> All right. Uh, As abruptly those reviews came and went and the lingering effects that they say this movie comes with, there's not much lingering or um, much to ponder when it comes to the title. It just kind of, the naked title hits the screen, just says Marriage Story. And it was one of those things like, for a second, I thought it was still just on the Netflix like select screen. Because that's (laughs) the first thing that happens. It just pops up Marriage Story. It might say a Netflix picture or some shit like that, but uh, with how self indulgent this movie is, I expected the entire first reel to just be the opening credits.
1: Yeah, it's not a Nicholas Winning riff and joint.
0: <laughs> a presents,
1: <laughs> no Baumbach presents, no Baumbach picture.
0: But Mr. Baumbach just kind of drops you into the life of this couple. It begins with some Kylo Ren narration, where our main, one of our main characters, Charlie. Charlie Barber played by Kylo Ren himself. Adam driver is narrating about the things he likes about who we believe is his wife, who is Scarlett Johansson in this movie who plays Nicole. Um, It's a narration and discussing all her quirks and the things he loves about her and the little things she does that, you know, makes her her. And we think this movie is kind of a love letter to this Nicole character
1: um, I mean, the movie had a hard time hooking me because for all the nice things he says about Nicole, he never mentions the most obvious quality that Nicole has, which is she is Scarlett Johansson. That really, th- he should have started with that or at least ended with that, that this this long list of uh, cool things about his wife should be like, by the way, she looks like Scarlett Johansson. By the way, yeah. she, she looks like the Black Widow. I mean, that's... I wish that they had acknowledged that, but of course, this movie does anything but acknowledge the fact that uh, the couple itself, uh, Charlie and Nicole, they look like Hollywood stars.
0: Yeah, and that quickly becomes the the overall story here. and That's something you can figure out here in the first five minutes of this movie. If you're not okay with looking at these really attractive people talking about their very, very white problems... And that's not to say, you know, obviously acting is uh, for everybody across the board, regardless of gender and race. But, God, no one else besides just entitled white people would present it in such an annoying way. (laughs) And like I said, too, it's you would think they would be more to market with this because you have a lead in Star Wars and a lead in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But instead this Bombach fellow is like, no, I'm going to take these people and make them really interesting. And I'm going to give them something dark to do because it worked out so well for Elizabeth Berkeley after she left saved by the bell. It's so grating. And then I texted you. There's this shot of it's when I think Kylo Ren's narrating about something that she does and she's wearing this tattered Ramones (laughs) t-shirt there had it not been for us doing this podcast. There is a, better than 50% chance I would have turned the movie off right there because that basically just that shot and that wardrobe decision immediately made me realize what I was in for on top of the fact that I've seen several Noah Baumbach movies before Um, (laughs) it just drove me insane Uh, no it's when she's narrating because she's talking about how friendly he is with everybody it shows him bringing coffee into the room and she's on her you know notepad writing notes about her performance while Fucking he brings coffee and she's wearing her Ramones t shirt. See, to me, and- I, I I was I was okay with all of it. Because I'm like, okay,
1: it's it's I'm a sucker for voiceovers and, and especially dueling voiceovers. Like we just saw it in Decent Proposal, right? <laughs> you have him reading his letter, his thing, his list of qualities that he's written about her, then she does the same. And I'm like, all right. As far as character introductions go, I've seen worse. But then it shows the because he's a theater director and she's an actress. And then it shows their work together. And it is the most pretentious play <laughs> that you could imagine. It's just she is uh she jumps on top of guy of a guy. He's like clinging on someone's back and they're kind of walking weird. And then she looks at him and he's of course sitting on the back row in the shadows kind of looking and she she does a little bit of acting and and then she looks at him like Huh? How was that? <laughs> Was like, oh, it's such Stop. a perfect
0: payoff, too, because they're just talking and, you know, white people shit. And then the culmination of their narration is my note says LMAO. What is this artsy bullshit? Because <laughs> it's just like this stupid um, interpretive theater shit that really, again, pinnacle white people nonsense. And yeah, th- she's like crawling. And then like there's the screen behind her of just a close up of her face of her saying the same <laughs> thing over and over again. <laughs> like a um David Lynch or Cronenberg movie with like all of the charm taken out of it it's and again this is the first four or five minutes of the movie buckle up and uh, they are in a mediation session with Robert Smigel which why not <laughs> they're in mediation and they don't want to share their stories with one another their marriage story as it were and uh they're just awful. They're awful to each other and they're both extremely, I, I feel like I'm going to use the word pretentious a lot. So I'm going to have to Google synonyms for pretentious <laughs> in this, but they're so far up their own asses Yep. and they just talk down to everybody around them, but they think they're charming. It's like one of those, uh, it's like an ever loves Raymond type thing where in their mind, uh, their interactions are so nice and so pleasant. Everyone loves them, but then you play it from the perspective of anyone else. Like, God, these guys are fucking assholes. They're just intolerable. Well,
1: yeah, there's such passive aggression between them. And I understand that, obviously, we're coming in towards the end of this relationship, right? I'm assuming, and based on everything they say at some point, you know, that it was never... It wasn't always this way. But really, what a way to turn off your audience from your two main characters by having them act like such dickheads from the get-go. I mean, I really... I was never really even given a chance to to care for them because from the very beginning, they're just being assholes to each other. I mean, you know, the letters is a good start, but then from the moment that they refuse to really share, like Scarlett Johansson is like, I don't want to share it because I don't like what I wrote. And then mm. uh, Adam Driver is like, well, I think that what I wrote was pretty good. Like he's being a cock. It's bad all, all around. And uh, I think the goal when you're making one of these movies is for you to feel like you're torn between the two parties, right? If you're if you're making a breakup movie, what you want is for the audience to not know who to root for or to mm-hmm. constantly root for them to overcome their problems and come together, you know? Uh, that's not the case here. What you're rooting for is for this shit to be over <laughs> so you can move on. Let's see Wallace Shawn again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, please. They're going through a separation. There's been no official motion towards divorce made yet, but it's clear that things are... Not good. Uh, There's some hinkling of um, Charlie having some extramarital affairs. And he's sleeping on the couch. And Scarlett Johansson is going to go to L.A. for a while. Because she's going to be shooting a pilot for a television show. So she ends up going to L.A. and moves in for the time being with her mother. Played by Julie Haggerty of Freddy Got Fingered fame. What do you know, Julia Haggerty, (laughs) from Julio?
1: Certainly not Freddy Got Fingered.
0: (laughs) I want to say... What about Bob?
1: uh, No. I think she is the assistant director in Noises Off. Like, not the assistant director of the movie, but in the movie, she's the assistant director Mm -hmm. of the play they're putting on. I think that's where I know her from. Maybe a couple of uh, Woody Allen movies. She sounds like a like a Woody Allen actress. Uh, But here she's playing quirky grandma, which I did not care for. She doesn't even, she's not even called grandma. They call her Gima. Gima. Which Jesus, (laughs) is that a thing, Alex? I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's a thing that you, you people that have lived in America longer than I have do.
0: Well, I mean, grandmas have so many different nicknames and plays off grandma, which grandma is in and of itself a nickname and, but yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard g I've heard like Nana, Mimsy, things of that nature, but not uh, not Jima. They basically wanted to figure out what can make these people even more annoying. And they just threw that into the fold.
1: Let's make her sound like she's an FBI member.
0: Yeah, and then she's like super religious in this first scene, but that never really comes back to roost at all. You would think there would be... It's like uh, Naomi Rapace and Prometheus build up on this whole foundation of faith that doesn't really come to pay off in the end. Um, but she's overly positive about everything. and But you can tell she's also a crazy stage mom. And then we learn also that um, Nicole's sister is an actress as well. And they have these very verbose uh, and loud interactions as family. And you can tell that was always kind of part of the deal. They talk like child actors and it's not charming is it supposed to be julio they're
1: characters <laughs> they're big loud characters i mean they're just quirky they're there to not to feel like real people but just to to i guess provide color to scarlett johansson's uh marital situation and also did you get the feeling that julie haggerty had a thing for adam driver
0: a little bit right a little bit
1: there's a little bit of sexual tension there
0: there's a more interesting movie. He ends up leaving his wife. He ends up leaving Scarlett Johansson for Julie Haggerty. Something that men across the world could relate to. Be like, I get that, man.
1: <laughs> Too hot. Can't handle Scarlett Johansson.
0: <laughs> but here is where the book is starting to come off the center spine and the cracks are starting to show this movie has gone out of its way to try to establish itself as based in some semblance of reality and, you know, real struggle. And this scene here with Julie Haggerty and the interactions, uh, kind of funneling into the next scene here is where this Juno shit starts of this movie. That's trying to tackle this very real life situation, but dress it up. Like you would a character in a game that you – know, like a Call of Duty game where you make your fatigues and your armor just wacky different colors just to stand out and seem different. Um, because we enter Laura Dern, the one who actually won an Oscar for this movie. So she's got that going for her. Was that her first Academy Award? I don't remember. I think so, yeah. Well, good for her.
1: Hey, she was uh, She was still – I mean, she got nominated for Marriage Story, but you know they were really giving it to her for The Last Jedi.
0: Thank you. She has, like, one of the most noble deaths in the Star Wars franchise. (laughs) Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. (laughs) So, Laura Dern, my note, is Laura Dern here to fuck shit up because you can tell right away, if you know anything about lawyers, and even more so if you know anything about lawyers in movies, they will come across as very nice, but they, from the moment you say go, you are paying them, and they only have your intentions in mind, so... She tries to act friendly with uh, Nicole and get a read of the situation just to see how much she's going to be able to clean out uh, Adam Driver, uh, Charlie, for. And this is where I have my note here. I just mentioned Juno, but in my notes it says Juno-level dialogue because (laughs) Laura Dern, what's her character's name, Nora? Yeah. Nora. She asks, like, what happened? And Scarlett Johansson just goes on this, like, spoken word high school or college play level (laughs) writing of like looking into the one stage light that's on uh the one line i remember specifically she's like he talked and i talked back and it's just it's like a child actor trying to do a dramatic reading it's like oh
1: dude i have um, the line i wrote is uh everything is like everything in a relationship
0: god (laughs)
1: it's i'm not sure what that that was like the the closing to i think that she's talking about sex she's saying like the talking was good better than the sex but the sex was also good because you know everything is like everything in a relationship
0: i said it's like a child actor doing like a dramatic monologue but that's not true it's like a high schooler writing something that they think is profound that they don't realize isn't that good and they think it's good, but it's just because they haven't really written anything before and really experienced anything in the real world. But, of course, all the old white people in the Academy watch this and were just using their own tears to jerk off with <laughs> and were in love with what was happening here. Well,
1: but it's also – it doesn't make sense story-wise. She's talking to a lawyer, not a therapist. No shit. It, she goes back to, you know – into things that have no relevance to a divorce lawyer. You know, she's talking about her dreams and his dreams and the way he treated her and the way she treated him, but there, none of this it has anything to do, like, in a legal way with what what Laura Dern is trying to do. Uh, but she's just, Scarlett Johansson is just unloading, and I don't know if you noticed, but it's all in one shot.
0: Yeah, a lot of this movie relies on the De Palma-ism of the one continuous shot I know he didn't invent that, but again, I just watched Snake Eyes last night, so it's fresh in my mind that he was a master of that.
1: I want to hear Nicholas Cage deliver that monologue.
0: (laughs) She talked, and I talked back. (laughs) The the sex was like the talking. Everything's like the talking. (laughs) Fuck me. So she gets the divorce papers together and takes them... To her mom's house in L.A. because Charlie's in visiting from New York and she's going to serve him divorce papers. But she can't serve him since she's the one filing for divorce. So she asks her sister to do it. And it turns into this fucking, I guess, wacky, zany comedy set piece of like, well, how's it going to happen? What's going to happen? There's a pecan pie. Yes. The kid is pooping. And it takes up so much time. I know people, like, what came to mind to me about this is that scene in The Family Stone where um, Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, Diane Keaton, and Rachel McAdams all end up covered in, like, egg, and it's this big, fun, you know, kind of haha comedic set piece following a dramatic scene in the movie. That's where this shit works. Because at no point in that movie does it try to present itself like a very serious Oscar-bait type movie. And then here... They're like mimicking how to hand someone something. And I just kept looking at my watch and I'm like, there's an hour and a half left in this movie. Let's fucking move it along. And then, of course, Charlie gets there and he's like, hey, I got this new grant. Everything's good. And then so it just leads to, I guess, a comedic uh, crescendo of errors and miscommunications where he's served. But she didn't mean for him to be because she didn't get to give him a warning. and, And then he's just like, well, what do I do now? I don't know what to do. It's too much, Julio. But it also I seemed,
1: it. Uh, I guess, pretty disingenuous on his part. I, you know, and granted, this was the second time watching it, but you might have gone through the same thing. To me, when he acted surprised that he was being served divorce papers, my reaction was like, how could you not expect this? Last time, and Maybe it's because they're just so nasty to each other whenever we see them together that I thought that they we're both on the same page. This relationship is over. You know, I can buy that maybe he didn't realize that she wanted to move to L.A. permanently instead of just going for the pilot. But, uh, you know, because I was surprised when he comes in, he even kisses her, like like they're still together. And I was like, dude, you, you guys were not mm-hmm. together at all. You were talking about, uh, you know, they were talking about splitting things without using lawyers at the beginning of the movie. So to me, that's that sounds pretty definitive. Yeah, and yet, you know, here when he gets served, he's acting like, like, you know, it goes beyond the surprise of the fact that she's using a lawyer and just more about like, oh, yeah. I can't believe that we're actually getting divorced.
0: Uh, and, and then he doesn't even get to stay there. He has to leave and go stay at a hotel. Julie
1: Haggerty is like, well, he can sleep here.
0: <laughs> Consistent emasculation of Adam Driver in this movie. That's what you get for insisting you take your shirt off in Star Wars, man. <laughs>
1: This movie was just a ploy from Noah Bombbach to get back at, at Kylo Ren.
0: So he's been served. It's time for him to lower you up. So he goes and sees Ray Liotta, plays Jay Murata.
1: <laughs> Close big, enough.
0: Big stretch on the name there.
1: Uh,
0: Brilliant Academy Award level writing there from <laughs> Noah
1: Did This movie needed more Ray Liotta energy. Old Ray Liotta, There's, too.
0: Had you ever seen you can him say that for a lot? Uh, no, I mean, I he's old and weathered in this and looks like he's having a hard time moving,
1: but still, he he has a fiery disposition here, which, uh, especially like the contrast between this and the the lawyer that Adam Driver ends up getting later, it's it's painful to watch. I mean, I I wanted more Ray Liotta in this movie,
0: absolutely, and he's a realist here, he's telling charlie all these things and he's like i don't want to hear him, you know this isn't anything that nicole would do it's going to be fine it just immediately starts pointing out you know he goes to school here they're going to go after you from this angle this angle and this angle they're going to try to get hold custody you need to do this this and this in order to start preventing it which sadly is a truth in the system that we have today the very broken system that we have But he just doesn't want to hear it. He said he can't afford it, so he's just going to leave. So he goes back to New York. He goes back to continue putting on his play. We get a very quick moment of Wallace Shawn giving Adam Driver the speech that Alan Arkin gives Paul Dano in Little Miss Sunshine. (laughs) Fuck a lot of women. Not just one, a lot of women. Fuck men, too. (laughs) Which is very... uh, uncomfortable coming from the voice of Rex in Toy Story.
1: America's grandpa, Wallace Shawn, talking about getting late as much as you can.
0: So he's basically trying to get all his ducks in a row with this play that he's putting together. All these people are walking up to him. Hey, does this look good? This look good? What should this person do? What should that do? Meanwhile, he gets a phone call from um, Nora, Laura Dern, who's very curt and explains, you haven't responded to us. You have till Friday or else we're going to, you know, Aim for sole custody of your son. What's the kid's name? Henry. Henry. Yeah, we're going to go for this and we're going to start taking everything that you have. He's like, but Nicole wouldn't do this. Uh, I don't understand why you're saying all these things. He's just being extremely naive and dumb at this point. He just thinks that these lawyers are saying all this shit to him and that, you know, Scarlett Johansson's just she's basically like a hostage trapped in the situation and she didn't actually say any of this shit. Which is really annoying and unnerving in this scene here because unnerving is the wrong word. It's distracting is the phrase I was looking for because this is the best shot of the movie. He goes out the side of this building and he's just on his phone walking and it looks like he's literally just walking amongst real life people. And Noah Bombach just shot this from across the street and he ends up kind of uh, down the block in the midst of Times Square. It's the only shot in the movie I really took note of because I thought it was so great. But of course, Bombok can't get out of his own fucking way here and just makes the scene so grating <laughs> and you know nails on a chalkboard esque that it takes away from what he did accomplish.
1: Yeah. I, I think that maybe I would be more forgiven if if this was a turning point for Adam Driver, right? If you know, I'll forgive how much of an idiot he's been up till this point. If this is where he just realizes, okay, this is serious. I, I thought I knew what was in for, but clearly Scarlett Johansson has lawyered up, and and now I'm in trouble. And I need to just, I need to go back to Ray Liotta. <laughs> I need to do something. Uh, but I mean, we still have maybe another 45 minutes in the movie where he still doesn't believe that that Scarlett Johansson would stand behind what this lawyer is doing. You know, he keeps he keeps ignoring like the basic things that lawyers are telling him. You know, he keeps for. Ninety percent of the movie, he keeps going. We're a New York family, even though everybody's told him it doesn't matter, dude. She was born here. Twizzlers <laughs> family. The kid was born in L.A. She lives in L.A. Her family lives in L.A. The kid's going to school in L.A. That's it. You're not a New York family as far as as far as the law is concerned. Uh, but he's just. I don't understand. How can you be so uh, unaware of reality and also be a, a, a somewhat acclaimed uh, writer director? In New York, I mean, it just it doesn't compute.
0: In in during this too, Nora's telling him, "Well, I just talked to Nicole. These are the things that we talked about." And he's like, "No, I don't believe you. That's not what's happening." Uh, my note just has here: ScarJo is a real bitch, and I couldn't tell at this point. <laughs> Do you think the movie was trying to vilify Scarlett Johansson? I know this movie was kind of loosely based on some of Bombax' real life experiences. Do you think he was? trying to vilify not necessarily Scarlett Johansson, but the Nicole character and thus the female in the movie. I don't
1: think it's intentional. I I think it's, he just can't help it. You know, he's, uh, I can see how he's straining to try to give you both perspectives because uh, assuming that they're both telling the truth about each other, they've both done reprehensible things. Right. And, you know brass tacks i mean in the end from the story that they both tell uh, adam driver is the one that cheated and, and that was like kind of the, the the final straw so but still i think that when he spent so much time painting adam driver as a victim and then you know other than the beginning he just stops showing us what's happening on scarlett johansson's side so mm-hmm. it, it really feels like he is leading like stacking the deck against her and you know we just see adam driver as as somebody that's being put upon and somebody that didn't realize that the wolves were circling him and and so on you know and even it you know the lawyer he ends up with is it's kind of like this nice old man compared to you know uh laura dern who comes across as as vicious and bloodthirsty you know unnecessarily bloodthirsty <laughs> so uh i think that if you ask noah baumbach he would tell you that that they're both equally flawed characters, but as they say, the proof is in the pudding, and the pudding tastes <laughs> tastes more positive toward uh, Adam Driver.
0: You got ahead of me there, Julio. Enter Alan Alda. He comes into the fray here. Well, I, was, I, was, but, uh, I was
1: keeping myself from actually saying his name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bert Spitz, who is a lawyer that uh, Julie Haggerty actually uh, hooks up for um, Charlie because we learned that uh, which makes perfect sense to me but I guess I never knew that before this movie if someone consults one member one party of a divorcing marriage they even if they don't go with them they can't end up representing the uh, spouse so in uh, basically a preparation move Scarlett Johansson met with a bunch of different uh, divorce attorneys in the LA area which is not a cool thing but that left Charlie with few options, so Julie Haggerty syncs him up with Bert Spitz, who used to work for the uh, film studios, and it's an old Alan Alda, and his mind ain't what it used to be, as his mind tends to wander here, but Adam Drivers <laughs> tends to think this is going to work out. You know, he's treating me like a human. He's just still painfully naive to this whole situation.
1: Yeah, uh, the best joke in the movie is when uh, Alan Alda says that Back in the day when he was a young lawyer, he was Bert Swallows. But now that he's in his old age, he's Bert Spits.
0: I didn't catch that. That's. <laughs> no, he didn't. Wait, that didn't happen. That oh, didn't okay. Happen. <laughs> <laughs> For a second, you had me.
1: Oh, man. That movie would have gained an extra star if, uh, <laughs> if he had made that joke.
0: <laughs> Good Lord.
1: Uh, yeah, Alan Alda is just. I think that they tried a little too hard to give us the complete opposite of Laura Dern when it comes to lawyers.
0: Yeah. Make you want to root for this person, even though they have no real chance of winning.
1: Yeah. He's constantly contradicting himself. And yes, he is a nice guy, but also borders on incompetent, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it it doesn't, like I said earlier, it looks even worse when you've already shown us the power of Ray Liotta as a lawyer, like Ray Liotta sounded like he knew what was going on. And he knew what was, what was it going to take for Adam driver to, to prevail here? Uh, I don't understand why Adam Driver didn't go to Ray Liotta. That should have been, you know, he already claimed him as his lawyer. Because obviously, because he went and took a a consultation with him, that means that, you know, it's not like Scarlett Johansson could have taken that one away from him. But instead, Mm -hmm. it's just so weird. He's acting like he doesn't have any options when he calls Julie Haggerty. And it's like, no, you had Ray Liotta, dude. I mean, granted, he was a little expensive. But later in the movie, much later in the movie, they reveal that he has a lot of money. Like, that grant that he won is a shitload of money. He could have hired 10 Ray Liotas, and he could have had his kid full custody.
0: Art imitating life. Uh, he wanted, Bombach that is, wanted Ray Liotta for the entire movie. He's like $25,000 an hour. <laughs> Not a dime less.
1: He's like, all right, well, how about I give you the Alan Alda character? <laughs> and I'll give Alan Alda the bigger character.
0: There ends up being a big fiasco on Halloween where they both want to take him trick-or-treating, and of course, Adam Driver gets him second, and it's late, so no one's going to give anything out at that point, which honestly is one of the more sympathetic moments in the movie. Um, Bret Hart always talked about the life of a pro wrestler. He said most people would think that being away on Christmas would be the hardest, being someone with children, Mm -hmm. and he always said it was Halloween that was the hardest for him personally. Uh, Going to these shows and seeing all these little kids there dressed up and then remembering that his kids at home were dressed up and he wasn't there to, you know, go trick or treating with them. So because of that and also just because of the effort that uh, Adam Driver put into this, he had a costume made specifically for uh, his son, um, Henry, and he tossed it aside in favor of the costume that Nicole got him. And then you know he went through the effort of dressing himself up like the Invisible Man, which was a good costume. i mean, i got to give him props for. But this was like the sequence in the movie that I thought finally hit a note of true sympathy and didn't have any weird slapstick comedy just shoehorned into it for no reason.
1: Well, there's also... It's it's a mostly silent sequence. I think that that helps. <laughs> there's none of that... That is that very bug. true. <laughs> yeah, there's none of that Bombach dialogue. It's just these sad shots of a uh, driver and the kid driving around LA and walking into places that are not good for trick-or-treaters. And then it ends with them coming back to the hotel and the kid has like maybe five pieces of candy. So no, yeah, it it is kind of effective. And also, this is where my note says Halloween is where Scarlett Johansson turned full heel or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Because Bravo. So proud of you. uh, Because yeah, the... Adam driver calls her and they have it out on the phone and she admits that she hacked into his emails and that's how she knows for sure that he had been cheating on her, but she basically tells him to fuck off. And, and I think this is the first time that she acknowledges that. Yeah. It's not just the lawyers. I mean, the lawyers are doing it, but with her permission and her blessing and Adam driver is like, how, how did you even hack into my emails? And I really wish that there was an explanation for that. Like, is it just that his password is like 1234 or uh, his password is Henry?
0: Password is password?
1: (laughs) His password is Wallace Sean,
0: Or the name of his play or something. (laughs) Or like Poseidon or just something really stupid that fucking Charlie's password would be. But yeah, that's uh, jumping ahead a little bit to later in the movie where that comes back into play about the email hacking when Ray Liotta brings up that it's a potential felony. I actually had to look that up and confirm, but yeah, that is hacking emails. Uh, can be either a misdemeanor or prosecuted as a felony with civil liabilities. <laughs> is that like opening someone's
1: correspondence, like an actual like letter? Cause I know that's against the law.
0: Yeah, that's a felony too, but yeah, I guess so. But like, it just seems like just a few years ago, if someone's email got hacked and they tried to take it to law, they'd be like tough shit. <laughs> but now I guess because it's happened to people and, actual places of prominence and responsibility now (laughs) oh gotta take it seriously now
1: because of her Uh, emails oh yeah that's
0: oh jesus (laughs) (laughs) that's what should have happened Ray Leota should have started chanting lock her up lock her (laughs) up in in the courtroom we finally get to a deposition of sorts uh the lawyers meet for the first time Laura Dern is in full kill mode. I wouldn't even say bitch mode because it would be, uh, I feel like there's too much gender bias that comes along with the term bitch, unfortunately. She's just in full-on kill mode uh, from the perspective of being a lawyer. Everything she says is with an ulterior motive with heavy levels of condescension and uh, gotcha-ism. Joan, gotcha! (laughs) And she, even when she's like complimenting, charlie it's to somehow turn it around and be like well then you should have done this and all the while alan alda doesn't really know where he is
1: (laughs) he looks like he's half asleep and this is where i don't understand i mean again they paint adam driver as a fairly intelligent guy but he doesn't notice that on scarlett johansson's side Scarlett Johansson is quiet and she's letting the lawyer do the talking. On Adam Driver's side, Adam Driver is doing all the talking. So he keeps wrapping the, the the rope around his neck. You know, his lawyer should be talking. His lawyer should be because the lawyer, in theory, should know what to say that doesn't come back to bite him in the ass later. But instead, Alda is not intervening and Adam Driver keeps saying things that then uh, Laura Dern can use against him. It's uh, mm-hmm.
0: infuriating. And he ends up taking a sidebar with him, and he he starts wandering off with his thoughts. Alan Alda, that is Bert, and you can tell, and the audience could already tell, but Charlie at this point can tell this guy is not—he doesn't have all his faculties about (laughs) him—and he attempts to start telling this really long-winded joke. And it's an extreme in a movie filled with uncomfortable scenes, both intentionally and not. This is was the most uncomfortable scene for me to watch.
1: Was it? The the fact that Adam Driver kept looking at the clock like you were looking at the at the time in the movie,
0: <laughs> so relatable.
1: Yeah, but the fact I think he finally goes, Bert, am I paying for this joke?
0: <laughs> and what happens here is, correct me if I'm wrong. Bert basically tells him he needs to settle.
1: Yeah, yeah. They, which is just kind of, I mean, I don't know. It's it, it's frustrating. The how much of an idiot is this guy? I mean, I understand like how how much clearer of a picture needs to be painted here. Adam Alda, for all his flaws and all his his sleepiness and his old man fading away faculties, he still kind of tells him like, look, you're fucked. I'm, I'm like the most positive guy that that you could find. And I can tell you, you're fucked. They, they have you. And the best thing that's going to happen is that, well, you lose custody, but the kid's going to grow. and He's going to have his own thoughts about what went on and you're still going to miss dad and all that stuff. You think that after that heart-to-heart that they have, you really think that I'm Driver's going to go and be like, okay, I'll settle, you know? Everybody's telling me the same thing. Might as well end it now. But no, it turns out that this is just a scene that is kind of like Alan Alda's exit from the movie. (laughs) And we're still going to go through more breakup shit for another, I don't know, 45 minutes? Oh, yes. This movie is the opposite of ripping a Band-Aid off. This is like taking the Band-Aid like, little by little off a hairy arm.
0: Yeah, taking a full-size bandage off of Robin Williams' chest back in 1997.
1: <laughs> it's the 40-year-old virgin chest waxing ah, scene, mo- but in slow motion. Directed by Zack Snyder. Modern
0: reference. I appreciate it. They There's rolling blackouts in LA on one of the nights that Charlie has Henry, and he has to come help Nicole at her new home close this automatic gate and there's this fucking <laughs> unforgivable immiscible <laughs> shot of them closing this gate together to where right before the gates closed it's like a, a wall so that once it's closed the, adam driver's on one fi- side and Scarjo's on the other and Right before it closes, they both just have this longing look at each other, this longing eye contact, and it's their last glimpse of, you know, what could have been. I'm rendered mute here, Julio. I'm typically, I can soliloquize things like this a bit better, Uh, but with this, this shot is another one in my notes here that's, the note itself is the fucking gate shot, fuck off, (laughs) and
1: i think what makes it worse is that it's preceded by a very unsexy haircut
0: oh that's right i forgot she cuts his hair
1: yeah and it's like i'm sorry we've been spoiled we watch phenomenon we've seen john travolta getting his hair cut by kira sedwick it's just no more haircut scenes guys because they can't live up to that
0: but okay so was that scene to set up the longing shot or the haircut what do you think
1: well, I think, I think the movie doesn't know what it wants to do because I felt a disconnect. And again, maybe this is the point, but I don't think it's being made effectively, right? They are, or maybe not them, but their lawyers, the legal procedures are vicious at this point. And yet, when they're in front of each other, I understand they have a kid together, but they're being a little too nice after everything that's happened. I don't understand how Adam Driver is going to drive in the middle of the night to help her with the gate. Yeah. You know, it's just like this is I mean this happens after Laura Dern just wiped the floor with him and Alan Alda. And you know, I in, in a like I said in a vicious way. So when I, when this happened, I was like is this a flashback? Is this before things went wrong? <laughs> before things got really nasty? And then she's like let me cut your hair? What is this? Did they completely forget what happened in the at at the lawyer's meeting. It just, it doesn't matter. I don't know. I, I don't know what that shot with the gate. I mean, putting aside the fact that it's all artsy fartsy, it belongs earlier in the movie. I just, I don't buy it from the two people that have been through as much as they have already in their legal battle.
0: And the legal battle in many ways is coming to a head as we finally get to in front of a judge taken to court and the Leota is back. (laughs) The very cleverly titled Jay Murata is back in black and he is there to match Nora at every turn and to, he's prepared a case very, very well, clearly, and is able to shut down and he even like calls out uh, ScarJo's potential alcoholism and it it gets brutal here, Uh, the (laughs) The Wikipedia plot summation uses the line leading to a series of character assassinations.
1: <laughs> Accurate.
0: <laughs> yes. You
1: know what really pisses me off about that stupid uh, gate scene is that it doesn't it doesn't lead into this. You know what I mean? There's no there's no connection between them having a moment as they're closing. You know, they they get the haircut and then as they close the gate, how does that translate into him getting Ray Liotta? You know, I could understand if that moment preceded Adam Driver finally signing the papers and going, like, okay, you know what? You can have whatever you want. You know, it's not worth it. I'd rather us stay civil. What I need is a scene that shows me what drives him to go get Liora. Like it's different. That scene was the scene with Alan Olda, if nothing else, right? I understand. Alan Alda yeah. tells him, look, this is as good as it's gonna get. And then Adam Driver is like, Well, if that's the case, you're fired. I'm gonna go get Ray Lioda. But when you have the scene where Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver are connecting again, and then you give us Ray Liotta, it just doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, it doesn't add up. There's obviously a scene, a far more entertaining scene, that was on the cutting room floor of him going back, you know, crawling into Ray Liotta's office, (laughs) begging him to represent him.
1: (laughs) Telling him about how she cut his hair, and then they closed the gate together, and that's how he realized that it was over.
0: (laughs) So this showdown in the court, where everything just gets really, really nasty and... It reaches its lowest or so we think it's lowest ends up in it feeds into the scene that everyone's memed that's been like the rage of the internet ever since this came out where they try to just hash it out amongst each other as people uh, just the two of them no lawyers or anything like that and it starts off swimmingly because scarlett johansson proposes this and adam driver says you know this is what i recommended from the beginning or <laughs> what i suggested in the beginning Yep, And then, I mean, this scene is everywhere on the internet, and it's been memed to death, and it just gets nastier and nastier, and it culminates with that now infamous by internet scene of Adam Driver saying, Every morning I wake up and wish you were dead. Uh, Right before that, he throws just a god-awful punch at the wall, (laughs) just like, and I'm glad Henry wasn't there to see that, not because of the fight, but to see the punch that his dad threw. (laughs)
1: Uh this is though the mother of all Oscar clips. Oh, it is. Over a hundred episodes of the contrarians. I don't think that we've ever encountered such a such an extended and compounded empower like Oscar clip. Because it's the two of them. It's is Scarlett Johansson's Oscar clip and it's Adam Driver's Oscar clip. And in a way, I guess Bombach designed it to be his Oscar clip as well. As as a writer and as a director, it's like this is the scene that everybody's going to be talking about for years to come. And he wasn't wrong because, like you said, it's a meme—the <laughs> highest recognition we can give <laughs> to a scene, <laughs> to a moment in a movie—is to is to meme it. Uh, yeah, it, it, they just they, they go all out. I don't know that it was necessary. I was cringing a lot less when it was Ray Liotta and Laura Dern having to fight. <laughs>
0: Oh, God. And they're just yelling at each other. I have all caps white people shit. It's again problems that I know people of all genders, ethnicities, races, countries, all that issues that happen to everybody. But just the way they word everything. It's all like I was waiting for Adam Driver to say I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender. (laughs) They're just trying to be Hollywood. And it's again, this doesn't fall on them. This falls on the writer. I mean, they're doing the best with what they're given here, but this is Juno-level dialogue in the midst of this fight that we're supposed to take as the final showdown, the final countdown, as Europe would say.
1: My favorite moment is when uh, they, they get to talking about Adam Driver cheating, and she's like, you had sex with somebody else, and he's like, you shouldn't be mad that we had sex, you shouldn't be mad that I had a laugh with her.
0: <sighs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I, again, I'd be more mad if you fucked someone else. I'm like, okay, are they clean? Are you clean? Did we have sex since then? That's a bit more of a pressing issue right off the bat than he laughed at his friend's reference. Oh, God.
1: what? Uh, you know, I really hope that the criterion, one of the supplements, is uh, just a copy of the emails that Scarlett Johansson read when she hacked into Adam Driver's account.
0: Because, yeah, we never get too much of an insight to what they actually said.
1: Right. I mean, I, obviously, they said enough that she figured out that he was cheating on her, although he says it only happened once. So mm-hmm. I don't know. What is it that was so incriminating? You know, who, who screwed up? Who who went into too much detail <laughs> to where the, the email was incriminating uh, in a court of law? I don't know. But, you know, that's what criterion editions exist for, to answer those questions.
0: This scene basically goes to prove why the Ray Liotta and uh, Laura Dern characters exist, though, because these people cannot be amicable with one another. (laughs) This is what you paid $25,000 for. (laughs) The case is still pending, but what the judge decrees is that, um, or rules, I should say, is that there's going to be an evaluator sent to observe how uh, both Nicole and Charlie are with Henry and just kind of see what's going to be best for the child. Adam Driver kind of gussies up his apartment to make it ready, uh, to make it more um, aesthetically pleasing for the evaluator. He also, this scene in particular, he's just a horrifying father. Like, I'm sure Adam Driver is a nice guy, but those things of like, be a good boy and just like said, like Adam Driver <laughs> are so off-putting. Someone's gonna come <laughs> watch us eat dinner. It's like Jesus Christ, dude. Have some bedside manner with your child.
1: But it, and on top of that, it doesn't even work. I mean, that's even though they gave him fair warning, this is like somebody telling you when you're going to have a surprise test. Like the surprise part of it is gone. <laughs> and yeah. yet he is not prepared. When it happens, when, when that lady shows up, unless his kid is an asshole, I mean, the, the kid doesn't know, he's acting like he doesn't know that this is important. You would think, I mean, the kid's old enough to... I would expect you know to understand that, hey, for tonight, do everything I asked you to do. Because if you don't, we're going to be in trouble. He never mm-hmm. tells him that. And so what he risks is the kid being a kid. And when he tells him to come over to help set up the table, the kid's like, I don't want to. And, uh, you know, the kid asking stupid questions in the middle of dinner and all that stuff. It's it's like, dude, you you could have prepared so much better for this. You spent all the time to put plants all over your apartment and you didn't spend enough time coaching the kid. You're a director.
0: (laughs) And the evaluator, Nancy Katz, Again, is this supposed to be funny Dude, with how dry and droll she is? Worse
1: scene in the movie. Worse sequence in the movie because this goes on forever. It's like she wandered off from a sitcom. Like as quirky as, as some of the characters have been so far, she is on another level. She's like from an episode of The Office.
0: Like seasons 8 or 9. Right. Of The Office. <laughs> the
1: the Andy years.
0: Yes. So she's just here like extremely laconic and adding really nothing and just observing in a very terrifying way. I don't care if it's the best kid in the world. If I had this woman watching me the way she's watching Henry, I'm going to be acting weird. Like what the hell is this person's problem? Like all that she was missing was just hiding behind those bushes in the apartment to stare at them from afar. (laughs) And then the scene just gets weirder and weirder. It one plays into Noah Bombach's clear hate for the city of LA. I've joked numerous times about the writer of Jason takes Manhattan, just having this great disdain and aberration for the city of Manhattan, the island of Manhattan, I should say. Here, it seems like that Bombach's got a massive problem with L.A. Because <laughs> every he basically sees himself in the Charlie character, and Charlie hates L.A., and he hates that people always refer to the space, and you can walk here. No, you can't. Um, <laughs> but Nancy plays into that, and then also... Julio, make sense of this bullshit scene with this retractable knife. Why? The movie has like one more scene or two more scenes. Why did we just force in Ramrod like an old fucking Davy Crockett era musket? Why did we put in this retractable knife scene?
1: It has no consequence. That's the worst part. You know, it's not that he cut himself and he died. <laughs> right? Or, or, or that we see that. So what happens is I don't know how many of you listening have seen the movie and are like, and how many haven't, and you're wondering what the hell happened with the knife. So he has this trick that I guess Scarlett Johansson used to like, where he has a retractable knife and he acts like he's gonna cut his his arm with the knife, but at the last second he retracts the knife, so he doesn't really cut himself, but it looks like it. And so he's showing the the observer, but he forgets or he doesn't retract the knife all the way, so he actually cuts himself. And then we have several minutes of Adam Driver acting, trying to act like nothing's going on, even though he's bleeding profusely. And the lady is like, are you sure you're okay? And it just, I mean, this is happening in another reality. Because obviously this woman would have called 911 regardless of what he's saying. He's bleeding through his shirt. He's leaving blood stains everywhere everywhere. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> and then when she finally leaves, he passes out. Uh, he wraps his arm in like with paper towels and he falls to the floor. Fade to black.
0: <laughs> yes. I was just waiting to see if you would actually throw it in there. But yeah, it's just he faints and then fade to black. He just passes out on the kitchen floor and I guess his son gets up and makes himself a glass of milk and
1: it leads to nothing. That's what I mean. You know, if you were going to use the scene to show me the next scene is Adam driver in the hospital fucked up and he has his moment of realization and he goes, fuck it. I'm done. It's over. (laughs) We're done. He calls Ray Liotta and he's like, I can't, I almost killed myself. (laughs) And then, and then, what the fuck did you do that for? (laughs) Uh, and then the movie ends. Then, then you know, we go on with what happens next. Then I understand. But no, we don't get that. It's just fade to black and then more bullshit. So, why? I don't get it.
0: Well, I'll tell you why it is, Julio. Or I'll tell you why that scene existed, Julio. Is to see Scarlett Johansson, Julie Haggerty, and uh, Merritt Weaver do a musical number for no reason. And then for mm-hmm. us to then do like a crossfade like a fading wipe to Adam Driver back in New York singing a song and like a bar somewhere like he's fucking (laughs) like he's fucking Bruce Campbell in an Old Spice commercial.
1: I mean, he sings like a director.
0: He does. And it's one of those things that everyone there doesn't want him to, but they can't say boo about it because he's the director. It's the scene in The Master where Philip Seymour Hoffman's (laughs) singing and no one really wants to, but they all have to join in with him. Yep. Laura Dern.
1: Uh yeah, and, and, and he fakes him out. There's at least once, maybe twice, where it looks like he's done singing and then he comes back and keeps going.
0: Massively lacking from this movie was a shot of someone longingly looking out a window while rain was hitting it. Not once. <laughs> where was that Bombok? Alan Alda. Fucking hack? Like the,
1: the last it would be really <laughs> awesome if that was like the last time we saw Alan Alda. We already we haven't seen him for like thirty minutes since he got fired. And then he shows up and he's just looking out the window as it rains. It's like
0: the shot of him yeah, looking out the window with rain coming on and his dementia is fully taken over. He's like rubbing peanut butter on his bald head. <laughs> Just looking out the window as the rain hits it. Julio, well, yeah, let's take this home. It ends on the following year's Halloween is the way I took this. And Charlie goes to LA. He's taken a residency at UCLA. Um, everyone in the family is there to go trick-or-treating, all dressed up as different... Uh, not just members of the Beatles, but uh, individuals on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Band, which I must admit is a pretty clever idea for a group of trick-or-treating. But being that it was in this movie, uh, <laughs> it made me just shake my dick at the screen and say, fuck off.
1: <laughs> it's been two hours and ten minutes. Fuck off.
0: That That's not what made me say fuck off. What made me say fuck off is that Henry finds... Nicole's letter to Charlie from the beginning of the movie and he's sitting on her bed reading it and then Charlie goes in and starts to like help him through reading it and then of course he gets all sad and quivery lipped and Nicole comes in and sees them reading it and doesn't really do anything to intervene which she should be like why are you going through my shit (laughs) and then they I guess they've learned something because in the end Nicole even though it's her night she lets Charlie take Henry and then she as they're walking to the car this is the last thing that happens in the movie. And then I'll circle back to you, Julio, for any closing thoughts. She stops him and then ties Charlie's shoe for him.
1: I'll tell you what. This would have been... I mean, it's not like it was going to make the movie actually better. But if you had at least set this up, if if one of the things that Charlie mentioned in his letter at the beginning of the movie was like, and she always ties my shoes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I never quite learned how to tie my shoes. <laughs> yeah. Nicole does that for me in the morning.
1: Nicole's the kind of person that notices when your shoe's untied, and she ties it for you. you, you give me something. But this comes out of nowhere. I, I, there was no reason for me to think that shoelaces were important in their relationship to begin with. And that's the last thing that happens in the movie.
0: This movie sucks, Julio.
1: <laughs> well, let's, let's go to real talk so we can we can really hash it out, so we can yell at each other.
0: Let's do. Fuck it! There's so much I didn't do! (laughs) Oh, thanks for that! You're welcome! I can't believe I have to know you forever! you're fucking insane! And you're fucking winning! Are you kidding me? I wanted to be married! I'd already lost! You didn't love me as much as I loved you! What does that have to do with L.A.? What? You're so merged with your own selfishness, you don't even identify it as selfishness anymore! You're such a dick! Every day I wake up and I hope you're dead! Dead like if I could guarantee Henry would be okay, I'd hope you get an illness and then get hit by a car and die!
1: all right and we are back recording for real talk but before we go into real talk we're gonna take care of pp that is our patron pitch alex this is where we tell people about our patron this is where we tell our patrons about what we're doing for them this week this is where we tell them uh, what we're plugging and any other patron related business this is our patron pitch so uh one of the things that happens for patrons is uh we have extended plugs uh, alex what will you be plugging uh, this time around
0: yeah we need to reconfigure that too we can have extended plugs sometimes or just conversations just kind of additional supplements as we refer to them i had texted you about i watched super for the first time this week and
1: yeah i guess that's yeah you're right I I, guess I see where you're going now. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) If if
1: we're talking about Super, it's probably not going to be a plug.
0: I will not be plugging it, but Julio and I will be having a truncated discussion about the 2010 uh, James Gunn film Super. James Gunn is a guy who did Guardians of the Galaxy, right? That's correct,
1: yes. Uh, And I will actually, this time around, I do have a couple things that I am fully recommending. Uh, Back to the documentary well, Alex. I watched this documentary on Hulu called Tickled. And uh, it's going to be tricky because I think that part of the the fun of watching this documentary is going in cold. So even as an extended plug, I'm not going to tell you much about it. What I'll say here, and I'll expand on it a little bit more on Patreon, is uh, that it's about a journalist looking into uh, tickling competition. Jesus. <laughs> I know. That's where it starts. And where it goes, you wouldn't imagine. So. That's number one. And then number two, I finally watched one of the big Oscar buzz movies, uh, One Night in Miami, directed by Regina King. It's based on a play, and it takes place mostly in this one hotel room, uh, where uh, it's kind of the fictionalized meeting of Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke. And it's just the four of them talking about shit that's going on back then, Malcolm X being Malcolm X, and it's, uh, you know, four powerhouse actors taking care of business under the direction of Regina King. It's it's really cool. Two good things, and then super. That's what we're going to be talking about on the extended plugs segment for patrons. Uh, and also, patrons, uh, a few days ago we posted the end of days episode requested by patron Ben. And, uh, oh boy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We got a good follow-up from him, though. Uh, Yeah, he took the words out of my mouth. I was going to reference that we had just a a patron-exclusive episode covering End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where it turned out that if you turn the numbers 999 upside down, it makes 666. Hulu and I learned that and so much more watching that. Uh, That was a patron demand from Ben, and he uh, had a good follow-up to it. The feedback we got from it was really good. Um, yeah
1: i would say now like becoming a patron is worth it not just so you can listen to the end of this episode but so you can read ben's comments about the episode <laughs> that are on, the, on our patron page now
0: impassioned comments from ben yeah
1: it, it is honestly like i said of the episode i was like uh that i hoped that his response was not just like oh i hate it too yeah. i i i was hoping that his response was like i really like it and this is why and that's basically what happened and ben eloquent man that he is loquacious man i appreciate it a lot of fun on on our patreon patreon.com slash contrarian prime if you want to go take a look at our tiers uh see what we're offering and see what kind of a contrarian supplements you're interested in
0: we have tiers of one dollar three dollar five dollars and ten dollars i always i try to come up with something new every week I've used the hot and spicy McChicken. It's always food-based because I'm such a fatty. Uh, (laughs) Cheaper than a junior bacon cheeseburger from Wendy's. You can go over to Contrarian's Patreon, throw a buck our way and have access to some exclusive content, and then you'll be able to tell us, you know, hey, do this movie, and we have no choice but to listen to you. Again, as always, don't take that as a challenge. I don't want to watch Cannibal (laughs) Holocaust anytime soon.
1: And now we
0: can go into real talk. We may have lost a little bit of Ben's trust, our Patreon there, with our uh, chopping end of days down to size, but he did confirm with a little bit of a teaser on this episode that I've won back his trust with my thoughts on this movie. So (laughs) Ben is... (laughs) Your (laughs)
1: unfiltered thoughts on Twitter.
0: Ben is at least... uh, I'm back in Ben's good graces, I should say. Marriage Story, again, released on November 6th of 2019. Uh, premiered in Venice on August 29th of that year. Written and directed by Noah Baumbach, the king of the white people. It had <laughs> a budget of $18 million. The recorded box office return is $2 million, just a little over $2 million, which is honestly uh, fairly impressive considering it is a Netflix movie. I believe it got the longest theater release of a Netflix film, which was 30 Days, so obviously word of mouth got out and some people went to see it the box office numbers aren't going to be that's something we're going to have to get used to is reading you know the the thing with the pay-per-views the way the model uh, goes mm-hmm. now is with all these streaming services it's really hard to um, uh, register exactly where all the money's coming from these things aren't going to be measured like they used to be and this is a big example of it this is obviously was a big movie that made a big impact that number comes tallied from money drawn at actual physical movie theaters not factoring in netflix subscriptions things like that so that's what's going to start to happen more and more we're not going to see as many of those box office returns of 50 to a million hundred million dollars and um, just the nature of the beast at this point i suppose it was an awards darling as we know 94 percent on rotten tomatoes so the critics ate that shit up At the 2020 Academy Awards, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Adam Driver, Best Actress, Scarlett Johansson, Best Supporting Actress, Laura Dern. Uh, She won. She was the only Oscar that the film won. Uh, Best Original Screenplay. And the score was by Randy Newman, which is awesome. (laughs) Nowhere near as impish and whimsical as that of Toy Story or... Michael. (laughs) Yes. I really could have used him at some point. as be like, "Mad story, oh, mad story." Charlie and Nicole going through the rain. (laughs) Oh my God! That so that was the same year that Toy Story Four was in contention. Yeah, that's when he performed. I can't let you throw yourself away. I can't let you. He should have just like done a medley of that song and whatever fucking dribble that came from this movie. Man, I did not like this movie, Julio.
1: <sighs> I, I I gather as much.
0: <laughs> as, as I was looking was through our uh,
1: I was looking through our past episodes just to see when was the last time that we had a a, a huge divide like a, a like very opposite reactions. And, of course, it's hard to tell because we haven't had the conversation yet, right? So I don't know. I know where I stand. I'm not sure where you stand. I just know you are, like, on the other side. But I don't know how how far down the other side, you know? So are we, like, looking at a Halloween H2O scenario? Are we looking at an Alien Resurrection scenario? Are we looking at an Avengers Endgame scenario? (laughs) Uh, I can't tell yet.
0: (laughs) Again... I did not dislike the movie Avengers Endgame as much as I disliked what it represented. I would
1: right, but but we had a very passionate discussion. where We oh, were like yeah. on opposite because, sides
0: because you were wrong. Much like you're most likely gonna be wrong about this. Man, it's just because. So I went into this expecting. Uh, shit, I'm getting ahead of myself here, Julio. You have some quotes for us, I believe.
1: Yes, I have. I have three rotten quotes from people who are not named Mattis, but might as well be. Uh, starting from Kyle Smith from the national review, he says, getting hit with such a snoot full of mega misery is not necessarily what I'm looking for in a relationship movie. I don't find catharsis here. All I see is a kind of cinematic therapy session without going into detail yet. <laughs> Agree or disagree, Alex?
0: Uh, no, I, I did not find any of like the, um, when I wrote this movie's torture, uh, I, it was not from the perspective of, like, this is, like, misery porn. I did not find that about this movie. So, that that's kind of my starting point. So, we'll get into that in just a second.
1: All right. Cool. Uh, next. Senior Rose Piccati from St. Anthony Messenger. What is so startling is Nicole and Charlie's lack of depth about their lives. Yes, they mourn the end of their marriage, but Bombuck's script offers no emotional or spiritual rationale for their sorrow. Again, without going into detail, Alex. <laughs> Agree or disagree?
0: That's That's closer to how I feel.
1: All right. And finally, Sarah Manville from Critics Notebook. The perfect example of how misogyny manifests among the artistic classes.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of something to that, because it seemed like, at least in some portions of this, he was trying to definitely make a villain out of Scarlett Johansson and Laura Dern, like, portraying them as vindictive women. I don't know if Noah Baumbach knows what the word misogyny means or is (laughs) sharp enough to interpret its definition, so I think it's a big
1: enough word that he knows it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I actually, I I don't think so. I think, I mean, we'll get to it. I remember that was one of the big things. And I really want you to, to, to go about this first, but just so I don't forget to bring it up later. One of the criticisms when this movie came out, one of the popular criticisms I remember hearing was how the movie made Scarlett Johansson the villain and Adam Driver, the hero, and that that was not cool. And I remember having watched it, I was like, I can see how you can feel that way, but I didn't really feel it when I was watching it, not not really. And on rewatch, I feel even more strongly that that's not the case. And uh, I'll tell you why later, <laughs> eventually. <laughs> but first, Alex, tell me about this movie. And if possible, if possible, start with something you liked.
0: <laughs> yeah, I definitely i I don't agree that Scarlett Johansson is the villain and Adam Driver's the hero. I don't really think there is a hero in this story, in this marriage story, <laughs> which I guess could be a positive. If some people find that to be a a knock or a mark against this movie that it's portrayed that way, I don't think so. I think it's clearly written like almost like a, a autobiographical piece. From the perspective of Noah Baumbach, he said that this was based on his divorce from Jennifer Jason Lee. Could just be what he was feeling at the time, which, of course, if you're in that situation, the other person's going to feel like the villain. Um, I think physically he might have seen himself as uh, Charlie in this movie, but from a voice perspective, he definitely uh, felt himself in Nicole. Because she gets all the big monologues and set pieces, and I mean, she's the one that gets told, "I wish you were dead."
1: This yeah, I can just... totally see Bombach in the backseat of a car with a grip, going like, "I just want you to finger me."
0: I forgot all about that scene. It's not good, man. Uh, okay, starting with something good, acting's good. One thing I will not knock about this movie is the acting. Uh,
1: okay, I'm, I'm glad that we at least don't have to argue about that.
0: <laughs> no, the acting's good, and these people did. What they could with what was given to them, and it was very good. I so I went into this thinking that this was gonna be like a misery porn affair, like you know the, the horrible imagery aside. Like Antichrist is I, again. This is the second week in a row I've referenced that because the boys over at Filmbusters did it, and it kind of stuck with me. Um Movies like that that are really dark and bleak. And are very dialogue heavy and don't leave the audience with much hope and don't really have much of anything good to say. I was worried that that was going to be this movie and it was going to be torturous to get through because it's so sad. It's just so Mm -hmm. punishing. Uh, No, it was just a very poorly written movie and is not enjoyable to watch from any perspective. And even taking the word enjoyable out of it, it's not engaging to watch. It's annoying and extremely almost self-referential in its pompousness. The line I exchanged with uh, John Bolo on Twitter about it was, because he seemed to agree with me that he did not care for it. Uh, This movie is so consistently inhaling its own farts that I got a contact high from it is how I felt.
1: (laughs) I saw that.
0: I do not care for Noah Bombach as a filmmaker. i I think he should be commended for having a clear vision of what he wants to do and be as a filmmaker. And again, as I say on all these, dude's got more money than I do. So he's obviously doing something right. But this is, you know, the people listening to this are here because apparently they want to hear our opinions. My opinion is he's just really overly consumed with making just pure, unadulterated white people shit that appeal to a iota of an iota uh, a niche of a niche because this isn't even like widespread white people shit this is (laughs) this is exactly people like academy and uh critics and um god this is like a wet dream for critics this is like (laughs) this is like a movie that You know, like in college, me checking like uh, the porn websites for updates and my favorite porn stars in it. Like, you know, it's (laughs) going to be a good day. The critics that went to this movie were just so rock hard every time there was a reference to a grip or, you know, (laughs) uh, a spec or um, tech and using like all the insider terms. The first time you're a wrestling fan and some wrestler uses an insider term in a promo and you get this little fucking hard on about it. Oh, he said the word that, you know, only I know because I'm in the secret community. Fuck off! When you're older than 21, that shit wears off really quick. I can't even like verbalize this. I'm choking on my own rage over here. <laughs> it's not a movie made for people who have been through terrible divorces because that, that happens. Disagree
1: so hard, but, but it, keep it going. is rampant.
0: <laughs> to be fair, Julio, you have more experience in that area than I do. Um, a girl who's very close to me, uh, and I'm very close with. Uh, had gone through a divorce and it sounded really nasty. And she had kids with her ex-husband and stuff. And it does not sound enviable. So, at no point am I going to tell you not to feel the way you do. And if it feels like I do, just tell me to check myself and fuck off. <laughs> the way I interpret this movie is it is a love letter to people who live in L.A. and go to coffee shops and hope to run into fucking... Martin Scorsese or Jack Nicholson or someone and can give them their script all the while while they're waiting to pawn their script off to someone they're sitting around with their friends talking about how their art isn't appreciated using all their connections they have to work on sets and it's just it's written for not me and it's also not written for general people in the world (laughs) and uh, yet it's this is what gives like awards bait movies bad like a bad rep when people roll their eyes at awards bait because it is movies like this that are so overly pompous and i used that word already as well but just so full of themselves and in such viewing themselves in such a higher tier that it immediately turns people off who are watching it and when you've watched enough movies like you and i have you can tell there's Telltale signs, and there's red flags like immediately in movies like this. I so very much loathe the idea that Ramon's t shirts have become a character <laughs> trope in movies, and especially <laughs> in something like this. I have two Ramon's shirts, and one of them I have had since I was 14, and it is barely wearable. It's basically mesh at this point because all the holes are in it and shit. And it's something that I've had as like a point of pride. That type of shit is shit you wear when you're rebellious and younger and want to take a stand it's not something that is given to this rich white girl that acts in these stupid off-broadway plays that make no sense and their apartment and the way they live and again halfway through this too it came it brought me back to an indecent proposal where i was just like hey maybe you shouldn't have gotten married when you were 19 you know maybe you <laughs> could have avoided your problems then <laughs> yeah. i had a lot of emotions going into this and as you can see not many of them were good
1: you know i don't Disagree with many of the things you say, especially because they are kind of Noah Baumbach traits. You know, the the Noah Bombak affectations can sometimes, uh, if not completely ruin a movie for me, definitely kind mm. of like push me away. You know, we're talking about uh, when we were young. I remember that movie like I mostly enjoyed it. Uh, didn't really care much for the way it ended, like the third act, I think kind of like... It's he so kind of lost it there. Yeah. But 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 you know, you could say the same thing. What you're saying about these characters and these like scenarios, you can apply them to the people in, in that movie. And I think also to a certain extent to the people in uh Mistress America and the people in uh Francis Ha, you know, it goes back to what you were saying that no Bonbok has a way of making movies. And, you know, for better or for worse, that's what you get when you go watch a, a no Bonbog movie. Mm-hmm. And uh and yeah, there's some shit that I-, I think that out of context, when you're not under the spell of the movie, it can really get under your skin. I mean, it certainly does get under mine. Like there's, there's a moment. I don't know if you remember in, uh, while we we're young or when we we're young, when, um, uh, the two couples are having dinner or whatever. It's, uh, Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts and Adam driver. And, uh,
0: uh, Amanda Sifred,
1: Amanda Sifred, um, and the four of them are talking and they can't remember what the word, like a word for something. Uh, and Ben Stiller pulls up his phone to look it up. And Adam Driver stops and he's like, no, no, no. Let's just not find out. Or let's just not look it up or something. It's the kind of thing that, one, I'm like, fuck off. A pretentious asshole. You know, like, that's the kind of person that in real life gets under my nerves. Mm-hmm. On the But when we watch him in the movie, if the rest of the movie, the, the, the circumstances surrounding that moment are right i can go like wow that's really obnoxious but i kind of appreciate that the movie made that choice with that character you know i i can appreciate and i think i might have even said something similar when we were talking about juno ages ago <laughs> where even when some of the dialogue got a little too precious for me a little too twee i could at least admire the the effort that was going into making it its own thing you know it's mm. very on Noah Bombuck thing with all the Noah Bombuck affectations. Uh, and so when I'm watching this movie, Marriage Story, especially now on rewatch, there are lines that I was like, I was split. I was like halfway cringing. Like uh, the lines I quoted when she goes, Everything is like everything in a relationship. That is such a written line. And that is such a Noah Bombuck The way line. people and, talk. Yeah. And that's such a like, in real life, if I met somebody that said something, I'll be like, oh, my God, just you're like jerking off in your brain. Right. Yeah. But in the context of the movie, in the context of that Scarlett Johansson performance and everything that she's saying about a relationship in, in that speech, I think that that's why I can get past it. I can get past the preciousness of some of the dialogue. Uh same thing when Adam Driver utters the utterly ridiculous, "You shouldn't be jealous, or you shouldn't be mad that I slept with her. Or, you should be mad that I shared a laugh with her." Like out of context, that line is you know borderline insufferable. But in the context of what this couple is going through and what they're saying about each other and the relationship, I can get past it and appreciate it. And I think that might be where where we differ. That I do feel that there is a universality to the heartbreak that they're going through. And it's not like uh I'm kind of glad that you brought up like the 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 divorce stuff because I didn't know if I was going to feel like like cheating <laughs> if I was the one bringing it up. I would be like, "You know what, Alex, I actually have gone through a divorce." So, <laughs> you shouldn't, you know, I know because it's not that's not really the case. You know, yeah. I I don't think that I mean basically that's not a card that allows me to say you're wrong and I'm right. It just but I think that it is an element that allows me maybe to explain why I feel the way I feel about the movie. And that is, I think I even said it on my Letterboxd review the first time I I watched this movie. I think that there's a very serious difference between a boyfriend and a girlfriend breaking up and a husband and a wife getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, I think that when you... Yes,
0: the law uh, plays into one of those.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's a lot more expensive. It's a lot more complicated. But also... Along general lines, I think that when you get married, you're in the mindset of like, all right, well, this is it. It's happening forever. I think that most people that get married are getting married because they expect that to be a constant for the rest of their lives. And when that turns out to not be the case, the way that it changes your life, the way that it turns everything upside down can be pretty cataclysmic. I mean, you know, everybody goes through oh, yeah. bad breakups and I don't want to diminish the, you know, I'm not saying, oh, well, you've never gotten it. If you've never gone through a divorce, it doesn't mean that you don't understand pain or you don't understand what it's like to be broken up with or the, the pain of breaking up with someone. You know, that's, yeah, that's that happens. But I think that there is like an extra layer of, uh, of pain, of very particular kind of pain that comes when you have to accept that a relationship that you thought was going to go the distance is not going to do it. It's like, on top of the heartbreak, there is this uh, a sense of a failure, you know, because this was something that, you know, you thought was going to work and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I think that this movie captures that. I think that it this movie captures the the feeling of having been extremely certain of something, of someone, of someone's feelings. And then having to reckon with the fact that that person is not that person anymore, you know, and it happens in both ends. I think that we see it in more detail with Adam Driver where he slowly, you could argue too slowly, you know, realizes that Scarlett Johansson is out for blood. Scarlett Johansson is, you know, she's looking out for herself. The relationship is over. Uh, but it also, you know, when you get to Scarlett Johansson monologue earlier on, you know, she, you can see it on her side too. That she slowly had to realize that her relationship was not what she thought it was. And she had to decide if she was getting out or not, you know. I think all that stuff, yes, it's in the trappings of quotation marks, like white people problems. Like Scarlett Johansson and and Adam Driver clearly have more money than the average person. And, you know, every time that they throw around how much money they're spending in this divorce, it's just that it can be alienating. Mm. But I think that at the center, you know, the pain and the experience of of suddenly being in uh, unfriendly terms with somebody that used to be the most important person in your life. That experience, I think, applies anywhere, you know, regardless of how much money you have, regardless of uh, what your race is, regardless of, you know, most circumstances surrounding a marriage and a divorce. So I think that that helps me really get through, like, all the Noah baumbach that would normally potentially turn me off the movie. You know, when, it, when they're really having it out, no matter how precious they get, like the emotions, because they're really good actors. And that's why I'm glad that we have at least that common ground. Um, the performances are so good that I I buy their pain and I buy that they cared for each other at some point. So that kind of like takes me over anything that I wouldn't normally like about the filmmaking. I mean, you know, I, I think that that's kind of like the best way that I can explain the divide here because. I you know as as you're listing like the problems that uh, that the movie has in your eyes like I'm like yeah I can see that I can yeah. see that but the, <laughs> but it's also like I can see it but it doesn't really bother me because that's kind of like tiny little things enveloped by something that the movie gets very right in, in, for me you know which is just that that pain and uh, honestly when you get to the end and uh, I, I joked about it in Contreras corner but I think that it's so awesome that Adam Driver. Is not a great singer in that final scene.
0: <laughs> oh, dude. Uh, I makes make sense of that for me. What's the fucking point?
1: Well, I mean, I could tell you, like on my end, I, I for one, I like it when we have like a normal person that starts singing and they're not great. And his I, I mean, I, I appreciate that detail to begin with, because he's not an actor in the movie, you know, he's a director. So when he sings, he sounds like a real person <laughs> that would just like get up and sing. He's also a theater guy, though. So it makes sense that he... And the song that he sings is from a play. Like, I don't know it, but I know that reading later, you know, it's, it's from a play. So it makes sense that he would sing that song. And then what the song is saying, you know, it's, it, as much as, you know, I can make sense of it, you know, he's talking about... He's basically contrasting having someone and going through good times and bad times with someone versus being alone and, yeah, not going through any of that, but you're alone you know, which is not being alive. So it, I don't know. I, I, I find it, I don't know. I, I found it very moving. I don't care for the Scarlett Johansson musical number. I <laughs> I mean, I, I get why it's there, you know. It, it's it's got to show you that, well, she's moved on and she got. she's on the other side. But the Adam Driver moment, I, I find it very sad, but also very hopeful, you know. it's. I, I think it shows him kind of like coming to terms with the outcome of this really long battle. I, I liked it a lot. All right. As well, far it. as the... <laughs> that's it. Thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, no, the charges against the movie. Because, yeah, th- I, the that was something else that people, you know, I remember complained about. That this was, just, this was just a bunch of rich people fighting each other. And that that made it not relatable. You know, and... Well, my argument was always like, it is relatable. Because it's not about how much money they have. It's about you know, their pain, but yeah, but um, you're
0: also, you're someone that's enchanted by the idea of Hollywood in New York and the idea of show business and whatnot. It's, it's not applicable. This isn't fucking,
1: it's not the breakup with um, Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want a movie that's much better than this, that tells kind of a similar story, uh, enough said, it makes the situations way more uh, accessible to audiences. And it's, again, a movie... I feel bad for people that think they're just supposed to like movies because critics and you know awards do. And I would feel bad for people that went and saw this and have no idea what these people are talking about but try to convince themselves that it's good. I know what these people are talking about, and it annoys the shit out of me because <laughs> the guy who penned this did so hoping that the only people that saw his movie were people, part of his little exclusive club, which again, it seems like for people like yourself, this, and clearly for a lot of critics and shit, this worked because that's who it was written for. But to me, that's the mark of a more sophisticated and better filmmaker, the ability to make movies that can be as powerful as you interpret this to be, but could be consumed at more of a mass level, uh, public consumption is the phrase I was looking for there. And, you know, I understand this kind of seems like pot calling the kettle black with how insidery I get with some of my interests and things like that, but it's just not, it's not accessible. Watch enough said that's a better version of this movie.
1: My retort would be that I don't think that the, all the insider stuff gets in the way of getting what's going on. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I understand that. Yes. There's a lot of, uh,
0: why does it have to yeah, be maybe. that way, though? Oh, because it's just it's Judd Apatow shit. It's exactly this is this is pretty much this is forty. It's this dude. Oh re- no! This, well, the difference being here is that Noah public hired actors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this is clearly from the interviews I've read and just watching this. It seems like he thinks he's telling his story. I just was like, why when this was over. Uh, I know why it's a rhetorical question, uh, but yeah, I, I mean what you're saying, the reasons you like it, that, that all kinds of ad- adds up from our experience together. Uh, and also just cause I know you're a big Scarlett Johansson fan as am I, <laughs> and I, I really like Adam driver and the, I did not know Wallace Shawn or Robert Smigel were in this. So that led <laughs> to two, Hey moments from me. Hey, Ray Liotta, Ray Liotta. I mean, Ray Liotta is awesome. Um, Let's see. Laura Dern won. Who was she up against? She beat out Kathy Bates. I forgot. ScarJo was nominated twice last year. Once for actress, and once jo for Rabbit. supporting act. Yeah, that's right. Florence Pugh, Margaret Roby. I Ooh.
1: think I was rooting for Margaret Roby on that one, but I I I like Laura Dern. I actually it, that was the other big point I wanted to make, which I didn't realize until this time. I I didn't catch it the first time I watched the movie. Uh, funnily enough, it's... it's Laura Dern's Oscar clip, which we didn't, we kind of, like, skipped over in Katrina's Corner, Uh, but you probably remember. I mean, it's when she is coaching Scarlett Johansson on how to answer the questions from the Observer.
0: Oh, that's what they used?
1: Well, yeah, her big speech about how, like, society is conditioned to accept a flawed father, but they expect a perfect mother. So she's telling her, you know, you can't admit that you drink, you can't admit that Sometimes you think your kid's an asshole, you know, and all this stuff. And it's a very, you know, it's a monologue and you could say, yeah, it's an award spate monologue. And this is like, you know, it's her Oscar clip, which it actually was. And, you know, it's full of Baumbach lines. Like she says something like uh, God's the father and God's absent, you know, shit like that.
0: Oh, yes. You know, know what I I'm block- talking about? I blocked that scene out of my head, like a traumatic event because the dialogue was so just heavy handed and ridiculous. It- <laughs>
1: I think much like with Adam Driver and and uh, and Scarlett Johansson, I think that Laura Dern's performance transcends the uh, I don't know what you call it like theatricality or even uh, let's say the pretension of Bombux dialogue. It but what really makes the scene for me is that it delivers a truth that applies to the movie, and it actually it plays so well with those critics that are saying that we're saying that that the movie vilified Scarlett Johansson when really the movie vilifies both of them. I think that the movie,
0: everyone is a bad person in this movie.
1: Yes. I think that the only real villains would be the lawyers. You know, I I think that Laura Dern, Ray Liotta, not so much Alan Alda, Alan Alda seems to actually care, but you know, the (laughs) lawyers are shown as people that are just basically going to exploit what's happening and are really have detached themselves from any sort of humanity that has to do with the situation, right? But as far as Scarlett Johansson and, and, and Adam Driver, I think the movie gives you enough from both characters to show that they're just they're flawed people. And yet, you know, that translates into some people reading it as, well, no, Adam Driver is the hero, and they painted Scarlett Johansson as as a villain. And, and then you have the scene where Laura Dern is basically saying, we are conditioned to forgive flaws on father's, but we expect mothers to be perfect, which is like you know we can forgive or we can look past the fact that Adam Driver cheated on Scarlett Johansson, but the fact that she hooked up with a with a grip in 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 the, at that Halloween party is like suddenly we're turning her into a villain or we perceive her as a villain, and I found that fascinating. You know, that's uh, to me. I mean, I've never felt that way about the movie, but the fact that. There are people that would make that argument that are saying that the movie goes out of its way to portray Scarlett Johansson as a worse person than Adam Driver in the movie. It kind of proves Laura Dern right <laughs> that they're, you know that we're willing to cut you know in this case for this movie the male character more slack than we are uh, for the female character. Now that's you know apart from disliking the delivery, the the execution of the point. I think the point itself kind of merits recognition.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> You're not going to give book even that?
0: <laughs> no, because I'm sure someone's made that point before him. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's a valid point, and maybe in a better movie, that whole scene would have played better. I was clocked out 20 minutes into the movie. It was like an SNL skit. It, it was It was like a paint by numbers for this kind of movie for not only awards bait but for you know the big drama piece the divorce piece so i can appreciate what you're saying and the passion and vigor behind your words right now but
1: no Bombuck wrote that for me
0: yeah he wrote this (laughs) movie for you make you feel like you're part of his club julio
1: i don't know if it's ever come up but i those things that are that irritate you about this movie they irritate me In other movies, I generally feel because I recognize the tropes or because I recognize insider jokes, I feel they're kind of like lame shortcuts or lame, like, I don't know, insider trivia. When you see them in movies, like movies about movies can be really fascinating or they can just really get on my nerves because I'm like, I I know this. Most people know this, you know? Yeah. So, so I get it. I just didn't feel it with this movie because I guess you know to me that was kind of like background noise compared to like everything else that's going on. I when you ask me, you know, if anybody asks me like what I like about Marriage Story or what I find memorable about Marriage Story, the the showbiz aspect of it is the least of it, you know. To me that's oh, like okay. Yeah, what I think about is like the relationships and the just the the heartbreak and the, you know, just See, that, that yeah, that the stuff.
0: The showbiz part of it dominates it for me on top of like these things that they're saying to each other. I understand if something's good enough, someone's going to be able to find a way to relate to the subject material. The That principle in Road Trip where um, EL says, you know, you can teach anyone anything. You just need to find a way to relate to the material. If a movie's good enough, if Marriage Story was good enough for me was written well enough and was something it would find a way to connect to me. Instead, it just consistently pulls me out of it. And I live a fortunate life. And of course, I am a white man. So you would think I'd be able to relate to this material. But man, it really annoys me when people just white shit up. And, you know, I've been cynical in the past about Wes Anderson's movies. I was pining for a Wes Anderson movie. Watching this, because, I was going
1: to ask you. I was like, yeah. "Bumbuck or Anderson?"
0: Oh, Anderson all day because at least his movies have a sense of wonder to them, a general sense of wonder and um, whimsy. I think they they would probably prefer to have the term whimsy thrown their way. <laughs> I I watch a. Wes Anderson movie and while I roll my eyes at a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the shit doesn't connect with me, I watch that and I think to myself this is a guy who watched movies when he was a kid and a teenager and an adult and fell in love with this because of the places it took his imagination to and what he wanted to do with his life is to reciprocate and give back and create his own adventures on screen when I watch shit by Noah Bombach, I <laughs> see someone thinking what they have to say is super important, and that the people that are going to get to read it or see it are lucky to do so. That like Diablo Cody is kind of the same way. Juno is a better movie than this, but that no. that <laughs> the Juno defines that whole ideal of. Oh, this is so good and anyone that gets to see this is fortunate to do so. Not I made this because I love film and I want to contribute to the medium.
1: Today, contrarian listeners have learned that the way to get Alex Mattis to say nice things about Wes Anderson is to make him watch a <laughs> Noah Bombbug movie.
0: Yeah, and that's we a cracked that's the a code quick way. It's like the Zack Snyder thing that we cut earlier, but Zack Snyder is—that's another example. I watch those dudes' movies and I'm like, yeah, he—he he thinks this is fun and wants to do this, and you know, this—this this all is in his head, and he's really excited to do it. Man, like Noah Bombach is a guy that I'm sure wore sunglasses most of the time, even <laughs> when like they were inside on set and had some Marcus nispel esque demands. He's the guy that does the—you uh, fold three fingers and then you have your index finger and your uh thumbs making kind of like a diamond that you can rest your chin on to where your index fingers rest over your (laughs) lips that is noah bombach at every christmas when his kids are opening presents that's how he looks at his kids (laughs) with just utter contempt for the joy that they are having i'm sorry it's i've seen enough of his movies now to know that he is as far away from what i want in movies to see that there is potentially out there at a high level, I mean, I'm not uh, obviously Uwe Boll and shit like that, but that doesn't matter in the, the grand scheme of things we're talking about here.
1: Bringing it back to the very beginning, is this a worse movie than Indecent Proposal for you? <laughs> uh,
0: there is nothing in Indecent Proposal that I enjoyed as much as that shot of. Um, <laughs> Adam driver walking down the sidewalk on talking on his phone. That was really good. And that's like that. It, in the end, it kind of annoyed me. Cause I'm like, so he does have an eye for this shit, but.
1: Um. <laughs> and the sequence, the Halloween sequence, the first Halloween sequence. Yes. He's just driving around the kid.
0: Yes. That, that, that was, I was going to say well done, but again, th- this movie is a competently made film and, and well done. It's just It's like those burgers that are in commercials for like Burger King or McDonald's or, you know, any, take your pick of any chain restaurant, you know, the food they show on the commercials, how incredible it looks, but the stuff inside of it is just hollow and not real. (laughs) That's kind of marriage story is a whopper on a commercial looks incredible, but if you bit into it, you would regret that decision.
1: All right. I have two, two final questions. Uh, uh, one, and that's okay if you can't answer this right away, but just answer whenever, even if it's, like, tomorrow on a text. Uh, <laughs> can you think of an insider-type kind of movie that you like?
0: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood?
1: Why does that work, or or, or what is it? Is it something similar to why this works for me, where, like, the, the little insider things don't bother you because there's something bigger going on, and it's not just about that in in your perception?
0: It's also fictionalized and ridiculously over the top, so that might not be a fair comparison. Shit. The Wrestler, that's a very insider movie. Um, For you. I mean, yeah, I watched Wrestler and to me that's just all like, it's a whole new world. (laughs) They're hitting each other with light tubes now? What the fuck? (laughs) Why are they bleeding? Uh, And to be fair, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's fresh in my mind because I was reading over the Academy Awards from last year. Um... I mean, would you consider movies about making movies that way? I mean, I enjoyed the Disaster Artist to a certain extent, so that's what came to the top of my mind, Julio. But I will keep my mind open, and I'm sure I will sp- respond to you. Uh, we'll share yeah. these text messages exchanges on our Twitter just in case this comes to light.
1: Yeah, and I will. I will also think of examples of when it doesn't work for me because right now I'm kind of I, I can't think of anything, but I know because I know that feeling when you described it. I I know that I've felt that before. The whole, like, just fuck off <laughs> feeling. <laughs> I just can't think of anything right now. I, I, I don't can think care of about I your like.
0: fucking key grip. I don't <laughs> care who the PA is. Uh, Tropic Thunder, would you consider that?
1: Well, yeah, but I would I would say the same thing that I said about Marriage Story. Like, there are bigger things going on. I, and actually, I would say I in that I thought you were case, say that Nick
0: Nolte was great in both of them.
1: <laughs> uh, I think that the industry, the industry stuff in Tropic Thunder is actually more incisive. Because it actually seems to be trying to say something about it. it, it bearish story is not trying to say anything about show business, you know. Like I say, that's just like the backdrop. But I think yeah. Tropic Thunder is is actually trying to say something about those type of people.
0: I think that's just to finally, so I can have the last word. Edgewise on that. Uh, <laughs> that's probably what annoys me most about it because it doesn't say anything. It serves as the backdrop to just say, yeah, I mean, everyone is everyone acts in Hollywood. Everyone is an off-Broadway director that eventually moves their play to Broadway. This is these are common problems for everybody. Everyone goes to a marriage counselor in downtown New York City in a high-rise building where Robert Smeagle is their mediator. I mean, these are all normal things that we all experience. <laughs> oh, my son won't wear his, wear his custom-made Frankenstein outfit that cost five hundred dollars.
1: And I know I'm just, I'm, I'm going to trivialize your point, but this is like you telling me that you can't relate to somebody, to somebody going through a breakup because they're wearing a shirt that you don't wear. <laughs> it's just, it's the backdrop. It's like the, it's the, the, the whipped cream on top. It's not the actual cake. You know, the cake is the, the pain.
0: All these other things that I've said about this movie, I could almost forgive if not for that fucking shot of them closing the gate together and looking into each other's eyes one last time.
1: I I don't think I noticed it the first time I watched the movie, or if I did, it didn't really, like, you know, I kind of shrugged it off. Uh, This time, because I was actively writing notes, making fun (laughs) of the movie, it just, it stood out, and I was just, I laughed, and I'm like, I would be surprised if Alex doesn't mention this. (laughs) But oh, I yeah.
0: It was that stuck out like the sorest of thumbs. That was a broken thumb just sticking out in the air. I use the phrase a lot of times the movie was the sum of its parts. And I don't think that applies to this because I feel that the acting is better than the movie. And I feel the cinematography is really good. All the parts of it feel like it should work. And then the characters start talking. That's basically what happens <laughs> for me. So, because of that. I am more likely to watch Indecent Proposal again over this. Jesus. But I, th- I think I gave Indecent Proposal a C, <laughs> if I remember correctly. I'm going to give this a C minus. The acting is strong enough and it looks good enough to carry it through one viewing, but I have no intention of ever watching this again. And to one last time clarify, that's not because I find the subject material... Hard to bear. It's the conditions of the film and predominantly the dialogue that I just have no interest in braving again.
1: What's really damning about that uh, score, that comparison, that statement regarding Indecent Proposal is that you actually said that you'd rather watch Jade than rewatch Indecent Proposal. So.
0: <laughs> and I stick by that I would rather watch Jade before I would watch Marriage Story.
1: Well, David Caruso will certainly appreciate your support.
0: His Google notifications are going off right now. (laughs) Ding!
1: I'm back, baby! (laughs) He put his sunglasses on. (laughs) 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 Uh, Well, Alex, I know you're you're dying with anticipation to find out my my grade, my rating for this movie, so I'll just put you out of your misery. Just don't put a plus on it. Oh, dude, I, I have to. I I got a wavered as I was watching it, because I told you, it, it, watching it this time, what I would call the bomb lines, the cringy lines, they did make me cringe. I don't think they made me cringe the first time around. The first time around, I was just so enveloped in the story that, you know, they registered, but they didn't linger. This time around, especially because I was taking the time to write them down, <laughs> then it, it just kind of, they bothered me. But then it gets to, like, the big moments, and I am so in. I mean, when, when Adam Driver breaks down reading that letter, I'm just like, yes, that's that's a payoff. The The thing with the shoelace is kind of weird, but uh, I mean, I get it. But But the real payoff is that he finally gets to read the letter that she didn't want him to read at the beginning of the movie and it hits him hard. That's just, if you're with the movie, you know, that's a high note to end in. I'm sorry, Alex. It's a five star for me.
0: <laughs> They're all first round picks. And again, this is definitely one of the movies that I'm, by definition, in the wrong about with 94% being on your side of critics, that is.
1: Hey, Ben is on your side. So, so that's, Sometimes gonna count that's for all something. you
0: need. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Leo, you, you fall for white people shit pretty often. So I'm not surprised <laughs> <laughs> to hear uh, your great admiration and um, love of this movie. And that's not not faulting you again it's i'm just not surprised i'm not (laughs) upset or i'm not mad i'm just disappointed
1: you've lived among white people and white people shit longer than i have
0: (laughs) it's no longer enchanting to me it's just annoying
1: (laughs) yeah i'm pretty sure you would fall for peruvian people shit and i'll be like ah alex come on nothing special about this
0: (laughs) um And yeah, coming into it, I kind of already knew you liked it, so none of that's surprising. I'm glad we can still continue this and be friends afterwards. I'm sure unnecessary digs will be made at this movie uh, for many, many episodes to come on my end, and you'll scoff or roll your eyes over the podcast. Uh, (laughs) So that concludes Marriage Story. Julio, what is on deck next? Are we finally getting ready to welcome back Gina Gershon?
1: Yep. Yep. Hard, hard left into, uh, (laughs) oh boy, this is, look, this is a return of so many players just coming back together for, for this massive crossover. We have, uh, Joe Essertes comes back after the Jade episode, Paul Verhoeven comes back after the RoboCop episode, Gina Gershon comes back after face-off, after face-off, and of course, Elizabeth Berkley makes her, her Contrarians debut.
0: And fresh off of, uh. The Alex like rediscovering of Blue Velvet. We have Kyle McLaughlin returning to the fray as well.
1: <laughs> How could this go wrong?
0: <laughs> How could it go so very, very wrong? As we move one step closer to concluding our quartet of erotic thrillers, uh, we will be visiting the 1995 definite cult classic Showgirls, standing at a meager 23% on Rotten Tomatoes that is on deck for our next episode uh, in closing we want to move along to our perennial plugs we want to start off by thanking the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks they kick us off with last stand take us home with summer of 99 be sure to head over to the festive for any and all festive years needs
1: our logo the extremely talented Hans Roth he is an artist he's a podcaster he's an author he's a renaissance man Uh, you can find all his work at his website mildemonios.pe that's M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E Uh, he has four podcasts uh, Nación Combi, Marginal, Contante y Sonante those three are in Spanish Uh, you can find them on any podcatcher he has the podcast in English Living in Peru, you can find that in iVox he has a whole bunch of zombie novels he asked me to shout out his novel Somos Zombies uh, which is a collection of short stories from different authors Basically, they take place in different areas of Peru. And each author, basically, is from the area that the story takes place in. It sounds fascinating. It's, it's a, definitely a zombie anthology that, uh, that sounds like not one that I've read before. So, if you like Hans's work, you know, it's on our logo, it's on our Patreon page, it's on our upcoming merch. Hit him up uh, either on his website or on Twitter at Mildemonios or through email mildemonios at hotmail.com. Thank you for your work, Hans. We appreciate it very much.
0: And a thank you to Miss Zoe Perez, who helps curate our social media game. Specifically, our Instagram account, making some awesome graphics for the Contrarians faithful to like, comment on, whatever the hell you do on Instagram. If you haven't already, be sure to go over to the old IG and give us a follow at Contrarian Prime. And be sure to check out our Facebook as well, facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Uh, Zoe does some work for us on there as well, some videos and graphics. Zoe, we appreciate all the work you do for us.
1: Alex, I remember the second thing I was going to ask you. That's going (laughs) to have to be just for the patrons. (laughs) That will be on the the cutting room floor segment. So just take us out of here.
0: All right. Well, you have that to look forward to. More of me getting agitated by the movie Marriage Story on our Patreon account. But for now, that's going to wrap up this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time.